When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9, the Horn 512 Friday edition of Ball Don't Lie. We play jams from local bands and artists, very talented human beings that you can catch live right here in the ATX. Who are we jamming right now, Patrick? This is Curtis Lee. He's playing a day show Saturday at Come and Take It Live. I like that. There you go. So you I can, know exactly you, where that is. You can see the show and then watch the Texas Longhorns play. I know a lot of people out there are going to be uh, changing their schedules and trying to make sure that they are in a comfortable place and in a, you know, making sure they're in the friendly confines of uh, somewhere uh, surrounded by Longhorn fans so that they can watch the Longhorns take on Penn State. We'll talk about that matchup, actually. Uh, before we do that, we'll review the matchup they had uh, versus Colgate. Big win for Texas, 81-61, first round of the tournament. So congrats uh, to the guys. And it was a dominant performance by them for probably about 34 of the 40 minutes. Uh, Serge Barry Rice stole the show. Uh, he had seven made three-pointers. That was a Texas tournament record for made threes. Uh, he also ended up with 23 points. And the Big 12 Sixth Man of the Year uh, really showed why you know probably going to win or should win the National Sixth Man of the Year. And although he is a sixth man, man, he is, he is him. He was the main man for the long Horns last night also had two steals, three assists, six rebounds. He's the one that set the tone, Patrick. When he came off the bench, and yes, they did end up starting Timmy Allen, but when he came off the bench, he really provided a ton of juice and a ton of really just uh, it's just in, just instant offense. And I don't think he's been that hot from three point range all season long. I'm not sure the Longhorns, at least since they started conference play, have been that hot from three point range. They hit 13 threes, shot nearly 57 percent from three point range, and really Colgate had no shot because they smothered them on the three point line. Yeah, I mean they. It was a game of a good game plan for Texas that just happened to go right. You know, you never know in a building you're not used to playing in on the road if you're going to be able to hit threes. We know I, that Colgate was kind of letting them get a little bit more space. They didn't want to drive past them, and they run that little screenplay for for Jabari Rice over and over again. Run the screen where if the guy goes underneath, he shoots, and if he goes over it and tries to fight through the screen, he just barrels it to the basket and get that layup. They kept going underneath and kept going underneath and kept going underneath, and Jabari Rice just started to go get on fire at that point. And I think what was really impressive, too, about Texas and, and their adjustments was they started off just insanely hot shooting three. They then started to miss a few and didn't keep shooting. They then went to, like, all right, let's get the ball into the Sioux. Let's get the ball into Christian Bishop. Let's try and drive the paint, and let's try and get some other buckets and not just shoot ourselves back out of the game because we shot ourselves a big lead, 
and then have so many empty possessions where the other team can catch the ball and start running with it and get back down the court. They made those adjustments after, and so I think that Colgate got a little bit of a run back on them because they started to miss a few, and they fixed that real quick, took some more high-percentage shots, and then when the defense backed off them a little bit more, the threes were open again, and they hit some more threes. Right, they did. They they, they really. It was it was great shot selection by Texas, and I think Colgate made it easy on them. As you said, they gave them way too much space. Texas decided, you know, what, we're going to take those threes. Texas not known for being a prolific three point shooting team, so that was an added bonus for them. What Texas is known for their identity, their calling card, is their defense. And when Texas decides to take away a concept, an element, a player schematically. They do a really good job of. They want to take away the three pointer. That was pretty obvious that Coach Terry wanted to uh, neutralize the the uh, the three point threat from Colgate, and they did a masterful job at it. Colgate hit three three pointers. That is the tide for the season low for them. This is a team, Patrick, that came into this game uh, averaging close to nine three pointers per game. But percentage wise, they were the best three point shooting team in the country last three years. They've been a top three three point shooting team, and they shot twenty percent from three-point range. Uh, so Texas, and you brought this up yesterday, they decided, you know what, our big men down low in the post, hey, one-on-one, we're going to have to let that. We're going we're gonna to live with that no matter what the outcome is, who, whoever the matchup is down low, we have to live with a one-on-one, and we'll just smother the perimeter. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and I mean, we saw that, you know, uh, Woodward had a really good game and, uh, and Records had a good game in the post. They combined for 21 points. So it. so it's I'll like it. <laughs> so even though it looked like at points they were like man they're just dominating in the middle they weren't so they they did very well but they weren't able to consistently go down and put up twenty five points on you where you're like oh there's a problem so neither of them ever became a problem even though they were having success there was enough times that you waste twenty seconds on a shot clock because they're backing a the guy down turn around two feet from the basket and miss the shot ball gets poked out Texas gets it and gets it on the run and when you play that kind of offense too. It really takes the rest of the team of Colgate out of the game to where they don't feel good about shooting anymore. They don't feel good about playing defense anymore. And so they you can't do that the whole time. I, I, I could tell you after watching that game all the way through that Colgate's coach is definitely an analytics guy. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Because he's basically a Dan Tony I, type system. Yeah, they basically yeah. I mean, I saw them maybe take two to three mid range jumpers yeah. that entire they're game. They're in the paint or they're three point yeah, shots. And it was yeah. everything was a back off the backboard layup or, you know, a post up mm-hmm. move or a three. And Texas and when you play that style against good defensive teams, they know how to stop it to a point to go, yeah, we'll just contest everything at the basket, but we don't have to come out on you really. And so where a Dylan DeSue and a Timmy Allen and even Marcus Carr can eat all day long because in that mid-range game, Colgate didn't have anybody like that, and it made it easier to defend them in the hole because you understood they're really only going to take shots. And I think they hit the mid-range ones is why I remember them because you'd see it and go, oh, they took a mid-range jumper. They should do that more. (laughs) I get analytics, but you're losing. Change it up. (laughs) No, I'm with that. I I totally agree with your theory about analytics with them too Um, because I even was reading like a breakdown about them. It was like uh, they they compared their philosophy to Dan Tony. Yeah. Uh, Even that philosophy. Yeah, they're all about the three-point shot and getting in the paint. The mid-range game doesn't exist for them. Uh, But you got to give Texas a, a ton of credit. I love what you said, too. Even though Texas got hot from outside, because even Marcus Carr ended up with uh, four three-pointers, I believe it was, too. They got hot from outside hitting 33 points, but they uh, they didn't fall for the trap of trying to shoot themselves. It wasn't a constant heat check. 
and yeah. shoot themselves out of the game. Uh, they really did. They chose their uh, shot selection very wisely. And Dylan DeSue, Dylan DeSue, Dylan DeSue. That, the fact that he is now playing his best basketball of the season, even more than – Serge Barry Rice is fantastic. Right? He's, he's amazing. I remember, like I said, I, I talked to uh, some Texas basketball coaches. I had a brief little three-minute conversation with him, and I was trying to get as much, you know, as much info as I could. And I asked him just straight up, I was like, who's the guy? Just tell me who the guy is, all right? Who's the guy? Every coach knows who the guy is. And without hesitation, the coach said, it's Serge Barry Rice. I came on the show the next day. I said, guys, the coach is telling me Serge Barry Rice is the guy. He's the guy. Yeah. And turns out he is him. I mean, there is no question. That guy, he's got ice water in his veins. He loves the moment. Uh, it's never too big for him. Uh, and I, I think his his ability to really be malleable in his role that he needs to play because he comes off the bench. So whatever they need offense, he can be instant offense. Uh, he also was a, you know, a, a defensive uh, presence as well. Had two steals, three assists, six rebounds. I just love, I mean, that's the old quote about what Bruce Lee talks about. Be like water. That's Sergio Boy Rice to me. <laughs> I like that. Like, I like water, that. man. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's, and it is, it's that old man game with athleticism that he just plays that game of it's just smart basketball so much. But he has that chip on his shoulder that he wasn't recruited. He has that chip mm-hmm. on his shoulder that these big schools didn't want him. And now when he's getting the chance to shine right now, he is taking every single chance to show everybody, hey, man, you were wrong about me before. You're still wrong about me, and I'm better than you think I am. And I think Dylan DeSue is doing that too. That Dylan DeSue, you know, is a guy who wanted to go to Texas didn't get recruited by Texas, goes to Vanderbilt, proves it there, and has come here and not been able to to have the impact that he wanted to and is now finally getting to have it. We saw Dylan DeSue pick up that third foul. And, that was scary. And he yeah. went, oh, and he finished the game with three fouls. And he, he picks up. That's a common one for Dylan DeSue because he is trying to box out and do the right thing, and they just call him because a guy jumps and he's backing into a guy, and it's, it's normally an over-the-back, but it's normally a guy – who's not even going for the rebound. They just jumped, and it looks like he undercut him, but he didn't really, and it's like a 50-50 call that you shouldn't hmm. call at all. But whenever it depends on when the ref's head looks around. When the guy's falling. And pack- <laughs> so when he looks, and the guy's in the air, and Dylan DeSue's underneath him, then they go, well, that's a foul on Dylan DeSue. You undercut him. But he's like, but the guy was there. <laughs> he just jumped while Dylan DeSue was backing into him. Yeah. No, no it's a big man's curse, too. So I just look, yeah. you look like you're being aggressive just because you're big. So, <laughs> so he gets that foul called on him, and it's just smart enough to go, all right, don't pick up the dumb one. So that one was the worst one, but it wasn't. That it wasn't terrible. He's yeah. able to stay in the game. He did that in the, in the Kansas game, I think, too. Yeah. Picked up an early uh, two fouls. Early two and fouls. then he was able to finish the game. Yep. He got himself under control. I like that. That shows maturity, man. That's maturity. I remember you saying during the season that was the big issue with him. It was like he'll, he'll end up in foul trouble. He's great for the time you got him, but if he ends up in foul trouble, you got to take him off the floor. And he's done a great job of being able to keep himself composed uh, after that foul, not getting, like you said, the, the stupid foul, the, the silly foul. Not stupid, it's more the silly foul. Um, also, Dylan DeSue, th- third straight game with at least 15 points and 70% field goal shooting from the field. 
when you have him uh, playing at a really high level, and by the way, Christian Bishop is actually uh, playing really well too. He had eight points, five rebounds. And then you combine that with, and I, Marcus Carr, I, like I said, he, other than the five turnovers, he was plus 24 uh, and plus minus, but he did have five turnovers. But he, he gave you your 17 points. But when Texas is scoring like that and you know their defense comes to play, they're just going to be hard to beat. I mean, that's that, that, team, that team that we saw versus Colgate, that's a team playing to a standard and not playing to their opponent. And if they play to that standard, this is a team that can make a run to the Final Four. They really can because their defense right now, they're playing their best defense of the season. I'll give you a great defensive stat. Shout out to my man Christian Corona because he's the one I got it from. Uh, Colgate was the only team uh, to make uh, 40%, basically of over 40% of their threes uh, this year. Uh, Texas held them to 20%, which is their season low, and it's they, they made three three-pointers, which was also their season low. You go look at the top two teams by effective field goal percentage this season, the Zags and Colgate, 59%, and basically both of them were at 59% if you round up, 59%. Texas held both of them to a combined a collective 51% effective field goal percentage and beat them by 39 points. Now, we know Colgate, very different opponent than the Zags. Not saying that, but just talking about prolific offenses, schematically, conceptually, when Rodney Terry and this team decide they want to take something away, they do have the dogs to execute the scheme. Yeah, and I mean, we saw Tyrese Hunter play 37 minutes in that game yesterday. Like, Tyrese Hunter was out there playing hard D, and, and it's only 10 points. He did miss some threes. That guy plays his butt off on defense and uh, that's something you need because I think when you got Tyrese Hunter, everybody was expecting him to be this big scorer. He's turned out his role on this team this year has been different because he is now a guy that is not necessarily having to facilitate as much on the offensive end, but defensively shutting guys down has been his role. He's going to have to do that yes, coming up uh, <laughs> on tomorrow because Penn State has a several guys. They got two of them. That's that can score on you, and they like to play four guards. He is going to be on the court. He was 30 minutes, 37 minutes in that game. I mean, we're looking at another 37-minute game. I agree because the two guys you got to take away since looking ahead to Penn State, um, Andrew Funk, who, man, we thought Sergio Barry Rice was hot from three-point range. Andrew Funk ended up 8 of 10 uh, from three-point range. That is That's crazy. I got to. I don't know all season long if this is kind of something you know that he does all the time. Uh, but for Sergio Burr Rice, obviously he set a record, and I wonder if hell Andrew Funk might have set a record too. Uh, but between he and Jalen Pickett, who had nineteen versus A and M, I believe it was, he's supposed to be the straw that stirs the drink, though, right? Leading, he's leading the team in points, rebounds, assists, and steals. He's the guy. Those are your two guys. Yeah. Uh, you if you can neutralize those two threats. You got a really good chance of winning in Texas. That's as Patrick pointed out. They've been really good at taking at least at least taking away at least one of a team's best two weapons. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen we we've seen this with Texas that people started to focus really on Marcus Carr when he was tearing up early in the season, and that's when Jabari Rice came out of his shell and just became the scoring star that he has become. And I think that's what happened with Funk in that game. Is you go, all right, we're putting all of our assets to cover Jalen Pickett. And then that's the other fair. guy comes out. So that's where you go. If all right, if Tyrese Hunter's on Jalen Pickett, that means Serge Abari Rice. That means Timmy Allen. That means Marcus Carr. That means Arturo Morris. If he gets a little bit more run because you may be playing some more small lineups against them, 
those guys are going to have to make sure whoever's on that assignment, you know your assignment. It's more difficult with Colgate. You had a week that you could scout this team and a week you could prepare and and really teach all the kids the 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 assignments. Yeah. Like Marcus Carr in that game, one of the things that he forgot was that if you're throwing the ball near Tucker Richardson, he's going to go for the steal. And he just threw lazy passes I down saw, court. Yeah. And it was two or three, like two or three of the turnovers were lazy passes around Tucker Richardson. And he just made a lazy pass on a team that is designed to go for the steal. And that, so, like, that's just not knowing your scouting report and knowing, hey, man, everything needs to be crisp because these guys, they will blow an assignment to go for a steal. Goes to the point about 13 turnovers. When you want to criticize anything about the game, that's probably the most critical point. Yeah. And so, turnovers. but that was, but that's just not. Reading your your stat your your scouting report and go no man I, I get that that's the bad defensive play to go for that steal because but, nine times out of ten that's a catch and a dunk because that guy's falling over out of bounds but when they steal it when you're just doing lazy passes and so but that's the thing is you need to know your scouting report going against Penn State now and you have today to learn it. Yes, good point. You don't have all week to get comfortable with it, practice it, learn yeah. how you got. You're, you're going to get a walkthrough probably. To, you'll probably do a, a walkthrough in the hotel today. You'll probably do a walkthrough in the hotel tomorrow and then get out on the court a little bit. But, yeah, there, there is not a lot of time for you to go down and remember, and you're just going to have to go, all right, here's the main guys, and if they throw something at us. We'll adjust on the fly. Yeah. Roddy Terry's got to earn and, that and, money. And I'll give you. <laughs> adjust I, on they, the fly. Uh, we'll give a shout-out to Fireball, who's their video guy. He does a really good job. I'm sure he had a package prepared for A&M and a package prepared for Penn State before the game. They was already done. Their, their assistants, and I'm sure they had guys that were scouting both teams to make sure that they were not – the coaches would be ready. But you're not trying to load the, that on to the players before a game against Colgate because then they look past the game. But you have your, assist, your student assistants and everybody else working on scouting both those other teams knowing, look, there's one of two options – Let's scout both of them. So when it gets to Saturday, we're ready to go. Yeah, no, you're right about that. Yeah, you got to be prepared for all possible scenarios, especially at this time of the year. Let's give you a couple of uh, superlatives about Penn State. First of all, they're top 10 in three-point rate, meaning three-point attempts and three-point percentage. So they can shoot it, as we just saw uh, last night. They can shoot it. And they take care of the basketball. Uh, they So they rank 98, basically ranking the 98th percentile in jump shooting efficiency. Uh, per synergy. So they're really good at jump shooting per efficiency. They're also 43rd nationally in defense or rebounding. So, yeah, like Colby, like, they like to th- shoot the three-point shot, but they also they crash the boards. Um, that has been a challenge for Texas. Um, Texas has done really well at kind of having a, a group effort, team effort of crashing the boards. They're going to need to be on their A game when it comes to uh, hitting the boards versus Penn State. Their seventh lowest uh, team in terms of turnover rate in the tourney, so they're really good in taking care of the basketball. Texas yeah. has got to force some turnovers. Uh, somehow, I mean, Texas can put a lot of pressure on them, and when they're smothering the perimeter defensively, they're also 38th in foul rate. They don't foul you a lot. They don't They don't try to give you a lot of easy points at the foul line. So, those, you know, for Texas, you know, usually if, you, if you're not hot from three-point range, and that's as hot as we've seen Texas from three-point range, you're trying to manufacture buckets, trying to manufacture points by getting to the paint, driving to the bucket. Um, they're really good at defending that but not even trying to you know not fouling and not giving up the easy uh, points at the free throw line so those are some of the things that are their strengths but I think Texas matches up really well with them because they want to shoot the three-point shot Texas is really good at defending the three-point shot and they like to go small and Texas they got a lot of good guards yeah and I think we can we have bigs that can run too 
So you have bigs that a team like this could really kill you if you didn't have bigs that could run the court because these guys now can, if they're going to go small, they can run. And you can get killed in that transition game if you can't rim protect at all. Christian Bishop, Dylan DeSue can both run really well. Brock Cunningham's pretty good at it. He's not, but those two other guys clearly a step above in rim and being able to run the court. And I think you may see, too, there's going to be points in the game where everyone's going to have to step up their defense and not allow threes because if you know, hey, man, they don't, they can't guard two bigs at any given time. we got some good passing bigs. We may pull out and see if they're going to pull out on Bishop or DeSue, DeSue yeah. and then throw that pass to the cutter, and they're going to have no one to protect the rim. So we could see that as well as some so a little bit more high low game with some of these with some of the guards or if you have a Brock Cunningham or a Christian Bishop who's been showing a lot of really good passing and good sight of his players. I, I think you could see that of him where he kind of comes out trying to draw the guy out and if not, it's a twelve foot jump shot. So you have to guard me because and Dylan Nasu mm-hmm. has that little push shot it's all beautiful. day long. <laughs> but you have to if you're gonna play that game too, you need to make sure you really protect the three point line on defense. Because you don't want to be giving up three and then scoring two on the other end. In this game, it became easy because you were guarding the three point line and hitting threes. In this, the when you're talking about Penn State, it goes into, hey man, if we're going to try and shoot twos because we know we have a dis- definitive advantage on the inside, then let's really lock down that three point line. And worst case scenario, we're trading two point buckets if we're both scoring at a point, but we're not letting them eke back into this game. By every time down, we're up 12, and now it's 11, and now it's 10, and now it's 9. And now all of a sudden they hit 3, and now it's 6. You're like, oh, what happened? You're like, well, we were trading buckets, but they were getting 3 every time we were getting 2. I'm with you. The three-point line, or at least the three-point defense, your perimeter defense has got to be your top priority. It's texture here. brings up good points. I think Penn State is a terrible matchup a problem for the Horns. Three-point teams with a guard that can drive to the basket. Ouch. I will say Jalen Pickett has an unorthodox game. It's a... It's not a it because it, he he'll kind of get in the post and back guys down. It's yeah. just, it's it's an unorthodox game for a point guard, a modern point guard, I should say. It's almost a throwback game a little bit. Yeah, and I don't know if they have quite the athleticism of what killed us against like K State with Noel, where Noel is just so speedy yeah, and has such good ball him. handling. Like you can't get in front that of him. there is a part of like they could drive. So these guys are going to drive, but our guys can stay with them a little bit better. And I get it, it's a tournament. We're past the the two fifteen matchup. Pretty much every matchup is going to have some is going to have some <laughs> part in it now where you go, ooh, I don't like that. The one thing you don't want is two bigs that can score at will. That is the one main thing that Texas is afraid of because that is a really hard game for Texas to defend. Is a team like who knocked out Texas before Purdue last year. It's a roster limitation. It's like you can't schematically, there's not much you can do to adjust to it. Yes, yeah, because yeah. if they have a seven footer and a six ten guy <laughs> who do? can score at will, what 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 do you do with that? Not much you can do. Yeah, because then you yeah. just go, Well, they're just backing us down. What we do you can want to double say? Them, but then we, we can open on a three point line. Exactly. Yeah, no, it is. I, I agree with you one hundred percent. That's a that's a roster limitation issue. That's not a coaching schematic, you know, conceptual issue. And that's what you're hoping. You're hoping that, like you said, the problem is something that can be schematically or conceptually resolved or remedied by the coaching staff or by the players themselves. What you don't want, yeah, like you said, is that one problem you cannot solve because you don't have the resources to do it. Yeah, and we saw we saw yesterday there was times where they had lapses and Colgate got threes and they corrected them quickly. The next game, those lapses are going to result in more points because Penn State's a better team. So Penn State will probably hit a couple more of those. 
You just have to make those adjustments back pretty quickly. Penn State also really good versus the press. Um, obviously, Texas will know this, but they're the best team versus the press in the tournament. Um, it's like them and Creighton in case you try to press them. And I think a lot of that is Jalen Pickett. It's Jalen Pickett, and yeah, playing four guards. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. It, like, who who are you going to get who doesn't know how to pass and, and ball handle? Great point. Yeah, there you go. So uh, I, I I like actually you know I think the matchup for Texas is a good matchup. Obviously, as Patrick pointed out, it's the tournament, so ain't no easy wins. But Texas is good when they go small. They've been they've been at their best lately going small. And this team wants to go small, so I think it'll be a good matchup. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about that. We come back. We got Raj around the day. Uh, How about this place, Adam Schefter report? Adam Schefter is throwing a ton of confusion uh, about the ton of confusion out there about the number one overall pick and what the Panthers are going to do with the number one overall pick and what their intentions are. We'll talk about that. We'll play that audio and discuss right here on Ball Don't Lie. One or four down the horn. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, no, you've done it, it now. It's time for Rod's rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Time for Rod's rant of the day. I want to get into a little NFL, NFL draft discussion here because there's a new report from Adam Schefter, and this is the silly season. Uh, so you get a lot of uh, misinformation thrown out there. Teams are you know, throwing out misinformation just to try to motivate other teams, potentially to incentivize them to trade up or to trade down or for them to know, overrate or underrate a certain player. A lot of, a lot of mind games being played these days. And Adam Schefter may be a part of that. So just, I'll just preface this uh, audio with that. But Adam Schefter went on ESPN and he was talking about the Panthers and their intention with the number one overall pick. Now, if you're a Texans fan like I am, you're paying close attention to the discussion about what the Panthers are going to do with number one overall pick because you got the second overall pick. And you may just have to take the quarterback they don't want if they are indeed taking a quarterback. Uh, right, so here is the latest uh, from Adam Schefter on what's going on with the Panthers in the top overall pick. But this offseason is going to be defined by what this team does with the number one overall pick. They made the bold move last week to trade up to get to number one, and now they'll sift through the quarterback options. And I think going into the process of evaluating the quarterbacks, I think that Bryce Young is the favorite to become the number one overall pick, and they will go in with an open... Really? Yeah, that's... Let's live there for just a second if we can, because some people have thought maybe Anthony Richardson climbed into that conversation yeah. after the combine. C.J. Stroud. You're hearing C.J. Stroud, yeah. especially with that offensive line. You're, I think hearing- going into the process, mm-hmm. I think, let me say it this way, I think Bryce Young is to the Panthers what Mac Jones was to the 49ers Ooh. when they traded up. They traded Ooh. up with the idea that they really Ooh. liked Mac Jones, and then they went through the process and wound up on Trey Lance. I think in this particular case, this team moved up with the idea that Bryce Young was a guy that they loved, 
They also really like C.J. Stroud. He's definitely got support in the organization. And we'll see what transpires during the course of evaluations. But I think at the beginning of the process, it starts out with Bryce Young as the favorite. Okay. First of all, man, the fact that Schefter reiterated that Shano and the 49ers traded all the way up in the draft, he thought to go get Mac Jones, basically. And yeah. that was their intention. Remember, I remember Sims, my boy Sims, Lifetime Longhorn, Chris Sims, he did say the same thing. And I know he does a direct pipeline to Shannon. I'm not saying he got it from him, but that's what he said. And then there are reports that Shannon really liked Mac Jones and was persuaded, I should say, by the front office to go Trey Lance. But no, 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 I digress. I mean, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the number one overall pick. And now Adam Schefter says he believes it's going to be Bryce Young. Here's why that's, uh, why that's a little strange because – Adam Schefter also reported this, and this was like a week ago. We talked about this on the show. He said, I just hung up. This is the quote from Adam Schefter. Just hung up the phone with someone in the organization with the Panthers, uh, and uh, they said there's a belief that Dave Tepper loves Bryce Young. That's the owner. But Frank Reich likes C.J. Stroud. And they said, we love all these quarterbacks, and we've got 48 days to make a decision on which one we'll be taking. But clearly, they felt comfortable in giving up the compensation that they did to move up eight slots to procure the number one overall draft pick ahead of uh, other teams that they were interested in it uh, to getting that particular pick. Okay, so if they didn't know who they were going to get, I can kind of believe that because I, I listened to Mel Kuyper the other day, and Mel Kuyper said there have been multiple instances in the drafts that he's covered of teams moving up into the top five, even number one overall, and not knowing who they were going to get. He said sometimes, a lot of times, teams know. Sometimes teams don't know. They just want the leverage of having that position in the draft, that power position, if you will. Uh, so I can believe that. And now if he's saying Bryce Young is the guy, Patrick, I just believe that Dave Tepper, the owner, the guy who signs the checks, won the power struggle if there was a power struggle about a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud because history will suggest that Frank Reich has a type, and his type, it ain't an undersized, slight quarterback who's an outlier like Bryce Young. Yeah, and I mean, this is all – we're still far enough away from the draft yes. that anything could change. I'm sure Frank Reich will make his case as far as he can – we, I've, look, we know that sometimes owners who are GMs don't get their way of drafting quarterbacks. Uh, Jerry Jones, Johnny Manziel. Thank God. But <laughs> that was a guy who loved a quarterback, and he loved the quarterback. Also, I can tell you, I don't know if an owner has ever said he liked anything. Coaches say they like things. Owners love everything. Well, because they're billionaires. Yeah. Because billionaires can afford to love everything because yes. they, can, they can just they buy can it. Buy <laughs> when, you're, you're, when, you're, when, you got a, when you're middle class, you're like, I like that. I window shopping. I don't know if I'm going to buy it. I like, I'm not sure. I put it on layaway. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me go look around a little bit more. Exactly. I got to see. I got to move some things around. Am I, uh, you know. Exactly right. No, that's Frank Reich's like, look, I like CJ Stratton, but we, let's look around. Yeah. We'll see where the best value is. <laughs> look, where maybe there's a coupon. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I got I to compare pricing here, man. I got to no. price. Shopping. No, I'm with you. I no, mean, but David Tepper goes, I like that Maserati. All the colors, please. And I'll take it. I'll take it in cash. I'll pay for it. So I think you got a good point there about the personalities here. I, I'm with you. I think there's still enough time for Frank Reich to convince, uh, and now he's a billionaire now, basically convince Dave Tepper that C.J. Stroud is his idea. Because no. you, you, you can't convince him anything else because they're billionaires, but basically convince him that C.J. Stroud is the best pick for the organization. No, and, and I'll tell you this. If you're Frank Reich and you want to convince him C.J. Stroud is the best guy, you need to get call up Adam Schefter. You need to call up every single person and leak out there about how great C.J. Stroud is and give him everything <laughs> to talk positive about C.J. Stroud. Because if you are not, 
following and doing the scouting yourself and everything else, and you turn on the media, Bryce Young is the only quarterback. Him and Anthony Richardson are the two quarterbacks in this draft because nobody talks about C.J. Stroud. Will Levis has dropped off because now Anthony Richardson has replaced Will Levis as the physical, the guy. So we know Will Levis still has the arm, but Anthony Richardson has an arm too, and he can run. So now he's the he's the freak show. He's the freak show guy yeah. that Will Levis was supposed to be. Yep. So now that's those are the two conversations. Bryce Young is clearly the best quarterback, but is he too small? C.J. Stroud just doesn't get the positive. It's it's, it's so crazy because I think you're right, and it's weird that the two more are closer to the traditional quarterbacks or prototypical quarterbacks, yeah. Will Levis, C.J. Stroud, they're kind of taking a back seat in in the kind of the media storm, if you will, of this yeah. offseason to Bryce Young, the ultimate outlier, right? Never yeah. had a quarterback to be drafted that high who's that slight and, what is he, 5'11", five, 5'10", five, whatever he is. Yeah, he's like 5'10", uh, five, yeah, five, half, whatever it is. So you never had a quarterback that slight because he's going to be really slight to, I think, 190 pounds, 92 pounds, something like that. So you never had that, that slight that small drafted as high as he is and then you go to Anthony Richardson which he is a physical freak but he is a project speaking of Todd McShay had a report out a couple of weeks ago about the Panthers and Anthony Richardson to add to Patrick's point um, he says in his latest mock draft he said quote we still don't know which signal caller Carolina will target and it could truthfully be any of the top four names I've even heard a little buzz about Anthony Richardson who is a raw prospect but is coming off a huge combine performance yeah Josh Allen is making Anthony Richardson a ton of money right now because yeah. everybody's just making a, well, you see what happened with Josh Allen. He's like, well, he's not really accurate. Well, you see what happened with Josh Allen. I agree. Josh Allen, that was a remarkable, miraculous uh, development by him. Because I've never seen a quarterback be so inefficient and underwhelming at a lower level of football be drafted as high as Josh Allen was drafted. It's never happened before. And give it up to Brian Dable and that staff. They really were able to kind of reinvent his skill set, maximize his strengths, and limit his weaknesses. And now he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league. But I, I agree kind of with, with Mike Leach about this, the late great Mike Leach about it. Mike Leach would always say, I'd rather take a shortstop who had an accurate arm and turn him into a quarterback rather than take a quarterback with a really strong going with a cannon who couldn't really make the accurate throw. Yeah. He said, I'd rather take a guy who he said accuracy matters way more in football, in his opinion, than the big arm that can make all the throws. But if you can make all the throws, but you can't make them accurately, then what's the point? He wanted a guy that can make accurate throws. And Anthony Richardson, that's some of that in him. Now, Josh Allen, he was able to, you know, like I said, develop and cultivate his skill set, and now he is considered a more accurate quarterback. But everybody remembers early on, Josh Allen was it was all big arm, no accuracy. Yeah, and he they did a really drop of now fine tuning that. You're basically rolling the dice that you can do that with Anthony Richardson. I'm not saying Frank Wright can't. Uh, but Frank Reich has a he likes big quarterbacks and he likes prototypical quarterbacks, not necessarily quarterbacks like Anthony Richardson. His history is he inherited an Andrew Luck, then he brought in a Brian Hoyer, a Jacoby Brissett, a Philip Rivers, a Carson Wentz, and uh, you got a Matt Ryan in there, Sam Ellinger. Basically, all of the starting quarterbacks that Frank Reich has had, they're all prototypical six five, six six, six four quarterbacks. So that definitely tells me he's not interested in Bryce Young, the outlier, but also tells me he might not be as interested in the Anthony Richardson project either. No. I see him as a Stroud guy and a Will Levis guy. No, no, and that's I think if you asked if you asked Tepper, he would say the guys that are in the media. The guys that he's seen on that he sees on TV. 
And he turns on the TV, and who are they talking about and showing highlights of? That's the guys I love. Because look at them. Not only that, they're going to make me a lot of money because they're on TV. You want to give me the boring guy who can win games? We better win a bunch. And winning costs me more money. <laughs> winning costs me money, and it can make me. But that's a harder proposition than go get me the splashy guy who's going to make me a bunch of money up front. I, I, I like. I think that you hired Frank Reich. I bet that he will win out in this. He should. Uh, but I could see, I could see it coming down a lot more to the wire, and I could see you know Tepper understanding how business works, continuing to try and stir the pot as much as he can. To generate interest, generate and buzz interest and free because, media. Hey, yeah. man, until they trade for that number one pick, this is the most anyone's talked about Car- uh, Carolina since Jake DeLome, and they were winning games. <laughs> hey, they went to the Super Bowl. That's what I'm saying. Went to the Super but that's Bowl, what I'm saying. Man. They I went to the Super Bowl. That's how long Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, like, you, the most you got last year was people were like, they're signing Baker. That's not going to work. As, no, you said that's a great point too about the owners just trying to you know pulling your best Jerry Jones. Everybody learns yeah. Jerry Jones like, hey man, generation. And I will say this too, you also want to keep the hope alive that you could trade that pick because there's a talk that they still would. And, and a lot of this may be smoke signals to the Texans like, hey, if you want to make a deal, we still be willing to make a deal because that's why they like all the quarterbacks. Yeah. We like all of them, so we don't give a damn if you want to trade well, up because if we tell you, guy, if we tell you who we're taking. They, no, then there's no interest because exactly. you're fine at two. Exactly. If you're a Bryce Young fan and they said <laughs> C.J. Stroud, oh sure, so, yeah. go right ahead, you guys. So all the teams that may be interested in that quarterback, they got to keep the uh, the availability open, keep hope alive. And I think that a lot of this is for the Texans. Like, hey Texans, you know if you really if you love one of these quarterbacks and you got to have them, we're open for business because we'll take the other guy because we like him too. So I think this might be the, the – so the Texans – listen, I'm still not opposed to the Texans making that move. I'm not sure the Texans want right now. I don't know if we know that. And I'm not sure if they're like the Carolina Panthers are. We'll, we'll take either one of C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, whichever one the Panthers don't get. Yeah, and I mean, it all depends, too, of what's your – are you a ceiling guy or are you a – we want a day one starter or, you know, what's – are you a floor guy who says what's the worst possible scenario? Because what's the worst possible oh. scenario? You probably look at a Bryce Young and go, you know what? This is probably like him being his bad is like he'd get hurt, but playing wise, we know he's going to be a good quarterback. And then if you look at a CJ Stroud, you're like, well, he does, but there's been history with Ohio State quarterbacks before. And that system at Ohio State, maybe if we don't run the same type of offense, there may be issues. And Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, you go, man, the, the, the upside is so high, but that floor. We could draft Carson Wentz. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think I think that's it's a different philosophy for every team, but um, I think it's Frank Reich is making a decision, and you and I both agree he's going to have a ton of input. He has a type. I have a type. If you go look at all my exes, I probably have a type. It's probably big booty brunettes. Who knows? I don't know what my type is. Go look at all of them. You probably will notice a trend, and when you look at Frank Reich's quarterback, you notice a trend. Peyton Manning, 6'5", Phillip Rivers, 6'5", Carson Wentz, 6'5", Nick Foles, 6'6", Andrew Luck, 6'4", Matt Ryan, 6'4". You get it. I think he's going for a C.J. Stroud or Will Levis in the end. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I, and all this is just histrionics. It's just theater. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and I, I mean, look, they probably haven't had that sit-down full discussion of who we are like for sure drafting yet because you're, you're still, what, over a month out? Oh, you got plenty of time. So yeah. that'll come closer to time. And then it'll come down to, all right, do they announce beforehand or do they push it out the whole way to try and see if they maybe, if the Texans freak out, 
And they'll never reveal it. Only I think they'll keep yeah, it until draft it. day. Because yeah. on draft day, you still might get a team that goes, you know yeah, what, we want to make a freak trade. out and go, you're going to take our guy before someone gets super high on Anthony Richardson. Yep. And they're worried that the Panthers may take him. And they, you know what, we'll give you more than you gave up to move back two spots. Yeah, they, just, there is no incentive for them to reveal it. They All the power and the leverage is in keeping it as secret as possible and keeping yeah. options available. Yep. Uh, all right, uh, good discussion. We'll come back. We got off the record on this side right here on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful Nine Horn. Five one two Friday edition of Ball Don't Lie. We play jams from very talented human beings that you can catch live right here in the ATX. Who are we jamming right now, Patrick? This is Evan Charles, and he's playing Saturday at the San Jack Saloon. All right, if you miss any of these suggestions for Five One Two Friday, you can go check them out for yourself at hornfm.com. All right, um, you know that Giselle and Tom Brady called it quits, of course. Uh, Tom Brady has, I think, there's been rumors and reports that he is. Dated somebody uh, since the divorce, but I, it hasn't been. Uh, there haven't been prevalent reports of no it. No leaks. Yeah, there haven't been a lot of reports of it. Like it, it but Giselle, there have been now multiple reports of her dating multiple guys since the divorce. Yeah. She's now report rumored to, because remember, first it was the jujitsu instructor, Joaquin Valente. Uh, remember, five months after she finalized her quickie divorce with Tom Brady, uh, she moved on with this Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor. Wow. And apparently, he used to be um, the family's like, jiu-jitsu instructor. The family's, yes. Yeah, like I mean, Tom Brady took lessons and so did the kids and yeah. Giselle. And then he now he moved in like that. Wow. And now, how about this one? Another friend of Tom. The Brazilian model has been spending time with billionaire hotel magnate Jeffrey Sofer, reportedly. Um, he's a friend of ex-husband Tom Brady and a former husband of Australian supermodel Elle McPherson. So the two guys she's allegedly dated or reportedly dated since the divorce, Tom Brady knew them both. Woo! Man, a woman scorned. Oh, she'd get back at you. I can tell you this. I've seen Mm. Elle McPherson in person recently Mm. and uh, still got it. Oh, I bet she does. Still got it. And Giselle still got it. uh, She's dating uh, Doyle Bramhall, musician here in town. Oh, really? The guy who used to be married to Renee Zellweger. Oh, what? Yeah, he does all right for himself. Nice. So Elle McPherson been kicking it in the ATS? Yeah, so I saw her. I went to one of the shows he was playing at. What? And she comes out. She's taking pictures of the band. Whoa. How? Oh, so she you saw it you saw it up close and personal that yeah. she's doing well. How old is she now? Do we know? I gotta look that up. Okay. Fifty eight years old. Okay. Wow. There you go. Still well, doing good. She's a supermodel. Yeah. Supermodels age really yeah. well. Giselle's aging really well. Yeah. Well, she's having a lot of fun now. <laughs> she is. I mean, she hey, just, now that now that Tom's gotta take the kids on some of these weekends. Oh, and he knows all the guys she's dating. You know, she hasn't probably had a weekend off of kids. Like, I mean, I get they got nannies and stuff. Oh, I think Tom but, is taking a couple the kids. But no, a but on times. weekends. <laughs> he's working weekends. Well, now he now he's got a lot of free time. Now he's got free time. Take those damn kids for a time. Or oh, how about this? Tom Brady and this new guy she's dating, uh, Jeffrey Sofer, uh, they became neighbors. They were neighbors. Man, Tom Brady need Tom Brady. You pick really bad friends. They bought, <laughs> they bought land the, to build their forever home next to his mansion, next to this guy Sofer's mansion. They were neighbors. Dude, how In many Miami? How many people has Tom Brady fed? Wow. That are currently on yeah. the list 
trying to get with his ex-wife. Yeah, you know what? That's a violation. If they are true friends, then that is a violation yeah. of the G-Code, bro. Y'all were neighbors and friends? Yo, neighbors and friends. And the jujitsu guy. Do you think as soon as that report came out, his ex-wife called him up, Elle McPherson called him up, he's like, I knew it! <laughs> Yeah, that's been Elmy Pearson and uh, Giselle on your roster. That's legit. I need a billion dollars. So, <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all? all right, we come back. We'll wrap it up. We got the last segment before Texas baseball right here on Ball Don't Lie. What if we're not the horn?